Welcome to B-Sides Now. This episode, we are talking to Natasha Parrish from Ground Control Touring. Now, this is somebody Adam suggested for an episode, and I was stoked because I think Natasha is probably the only uh, non-male booking agent that I can think of. Uh, not even exaggerating. I really can't think of many, especially that work with the kinds of artists that she does and develops them in the way that she does. So I was stoked to connect with her on that level specifically. Um, but yeah, she's she was just an awesome guest. I could. Yeah, I've worked with Natasha on a tour in the past and super professional. And I think a lot of people who've known her for a while know that she kind of started more on the promotion side. Even I didn't know this till the interview as far back as college. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, America's opening up. We're seeing tours starting to get booked, festivals being announced. And I thought it would be interesting to not only a talk to someone who's seen it from both sides, but Natasha's worked and built a lot of developing acts, uh, Boy Harsher, Drab Majesty, she works with newer acts such as Gouge Way, Spirit of the Beehive, and I just thought she would be very interesting to, you know, pick her sure ear on, you know, about what we're going to do post-pandemic and all the issues we were dealing with pre-pandemic as being a booking agent. Um, so, yeah, without further ado, here's our interview with Natasha Parrish. Uh, Natasha, thank you for joining us today um, in this wonderful opening of America weekend. Um, <laughs> this guy in America, I swear. This guy loves the country. Yo, you should have saw the Starbucks at 930 this morning. It was lit. I, the stimmy has hit. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll jump right into it. Um, Natasha, tell us a little bit about your background. I know you kind of started at Empty Bottle. Um, and then kind of made your way into the booking agent world through Flower, through now at Ground Control. Um, can you kind of give us a little bit of a rundown from beginning to where you're at now? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, thank you guys for having me. Um, it feels good to reflect on all of this stuff. Um, actually, my career started even earlier than Empty Bottle. I uh, booked shows for my college, which was Florida State University. And it was the best job ever. Um, the school basically, you know, it's 40,000 kids at that university and they have a large uh, student activities budget. So my job throughout college was to book the shows and they had a venue on campus. So through that job, I would interact with agents, um, booking bands. And I learned through that job that music business was something that I could actually pursue after college, you know. Up until then, I didn't realize that this was a whole industry. Um, it never really crossed my mind. So once I graduated, I started an internship at Red Rider in Chicago, which at the time was a small agency with Eric Sells and Ethan Berlin and Matt Spinner. Um, and basically, I, you know, I had done the venue side. Um, you know, I got a taste of what it's like to work at a venue and work with different bands. And I wanted to learn more about the artist side, um, you know, because it's total opposite side. You're working closely with the artists and multiple venues as opposed to be as opposed to representing one venue and multiple artists. Um, so I interned at this agency and I, you know, I got, I got to learn a little bit more about that world. Um, afterwards, sorry, my cat. <laughs> Um, afterwards, I, you know, it took a while to find a full-time job. Music jobs were really hard to come by. Um, you know, there was hardly ever any openings. So I worked at Empty Bottle for a while and Thalia Hall. They're connected with the same owners. 
Um, I didn't help with booking there. I was mostly on like production staff or in the office helping with uh, random stuff, but it was great. They were really supportive and great people. I'm still friendly with them today. Um, and, you know, after working um, there for a while, um, just shouting out empty bottle. That's all that was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. After, um, so after that, I got offered a full-time job at, uh, flower booking and I had gotten to know them because they shared an office red, with red rider at the time when I interned there. So they were, you know, friendly with right. one another. And, um, so I took my first full-time job, uh, being an assistant there and it was great. A uh, very small company, three agents. Um, and I was the one assistant. So naturally it was a lot of work. Um, but the positive thing about working at small companies is that you kind of are, sorry. Um, you, you never to, have to apologize. I love it. It's the best addition to the on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the benefits of a small company is you, you get hands-on experience and you um, get to, basically, I feel like I was put on the agent track faster than I would have right. at a bigger company. Um, so it was a lot of work. I was responsible for a lot of things, but they did give me the opportunity to start working and start booking my first artist. And when that went well, they were like, all right, you can, you know, who else do you want to book? And they encouraged me to, you know, um, start booking. So I'm really grateful for them. Um, I think I started booking after two years of assisting there. And I think had I been at any other company, it would have taken a lot longer. Yeah. to be given that trust. Um, but yeah, Flower was great. And then, you know, I developed my roster over time, the whole time still assisting. Uh, you know, often I wouldn't start working on my tours till about 6 p.m. after working the whole day on contracts and finals and ticket counts for the other agents. It was a lot of work, um, but it's, I didn't really think twice about it. I wanted this job so bad that I, I was like, okay, this is how it has to be. Like, it's funny to reflect on it now because I'm like, what was I doing? That's like 24 <laughs> seven, like it's insane. But, you know, I just, it was what I really wanted to do. And so, um, yeah, I'm very grateful now to get a point where I'm booking full time. But um, basically Flower ended up uh, closing. Um, Tim Edwards retired and the agents kind of parted ways to different companies. Um, and I got the opportunity to join Ground Control Touring which was a company, you know, I actually interviewed with Ground Control fresh out of college, wanting to work with them. Like I had booked shows with them when I, uh, in college, booked Jeff Mangum, Bright Eyes, um, ton of Ground Control bands. And I was always familiar with them. And it was kind of my dream company to work for because they, they worked with independent artists and these were bands I loved. I grew up listening to genuinely bands I liked. And so um, I had always wanted to end up there and it just, the timing worked out and um, yeah, it's been a couple, maybe, I don't know, a couple years now, um, but I'm really happy to be That's here. Awesome. So yeah, it's just funny to reflect because it all just full circle. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And I feel the same way. I feel like we have, like I was just telling Adam, um, doing like some research into like your background and stuff. I was like, holy crap, I feel like we have so many parallels in our hustle. And like, yeah. it's so cool to hear it from you and hear about it. Did you, like when you were 
in that kind of coming up phase where there are a lot of other women around doing it or not. Cause to me, I feel like you are maybe the only one I can think of or one of few I can think of that, you know, represents independent artists, you know, like, sure. Of course, when we get to the superstars, there's a shit ton of people I can think of, but this kind of space, it feels like you're the only person I can think of. Have you? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely very few women. Um, When I was at Flower, a lot of my friends were working at the Windish Agency, which has since merged with Paradigm and become a bigger company. But um, I had a lot of uh, female friends working at Windish. And so we would, you know, hang out and kind of talk about that. And what it, me and my very best friend, who's also named Natasha, we actually, you know, when I was at Flower and she was at Windish, we started an organization in Chicago for like women in music. And eventually mm-hmm. we changed the name to be more inclusive, you know, sure. obviously um, there's a lot more to that. But yeah, we were like, there's so many women in Chicago that work in music, but we don't know any of them and we're never yeah. hanging out with them. Like, why is that? That's, we should all be like in contact and supporting one another, rooting for each other. So we started an organization, which was like a monthly meetup and just through like a Facebook event and yeah. people came and it was packed of like people I'd never even met before, uh, or maybe people who, whose name I had seen in an email. Right. Um, but I was like, yeah, we all live in Chicago, Chicago, is big, but most people live in the same area. So it's not that big. Um, so through that, I got to, I don't know, uh, I got to know the people in my community better. And still there weren't, I didn't know any female agents. Um, right. Elisa at Ground Control, you know, before I even knew I would work at Ground Control, I remember cold calling her. Uh, <laughs> Because I was like, she has such a badass roster. She, you know, she's a young woman. I feel like I could learn a lot from her or just like, I want to hear her story. And I actually hit up Elisa just being like, hey, I'm trying to sign my first band. Like, can you tell me like some advice? Like, what do I, how do I do this? And she talked to me. She didn't even know me, but she gave me great advice and really made me feel supported. And I just think that's amazing because, um. I'm just really grateful to work with people like that now, but yeah, yeah, again, there's no, there's not many examples. And so it's unfortunate, but I hope that moving forward, you know, companies start to be more inclusive and diverse and that people have more uh, mentors to look up to. For sure. What would you say to like, if there, if you, if like in a similar situation, like you reaching out to Lisa back then, what would you say to a young girl Mm -hmm. or any non-man, you know, reaching out to you today for that same kind of advice, what would you give them in terms of, you know, starting their career? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the most important thing is uh, trust, like trusting yourself. It might just, it might sound cheesy, but like believing in yourself because a lot of the bands I worked with were bands that most people in the music industry weren't familiar with. Um, And these are bands that sold tickets and it took, booking those shows and selling those tickets for people to kind of realize like, Oh, I've never heard of this band, but they have a following. Um, and I'm just glad that I trusted my gut in a lot of those scenarios where like, I, you know, I started working with bands most of the time I'm working with bands very early on, um, and helping them develop like boy harsher is always the example I think of because they were really playing basements and art spaces when I started working with them. And then, I mean, 
it really popped off for them. Like, I'm very happy for them. You know, I feel like people jumped on the bandwagon very quickly and realized what they, what they were all about. Um, but yeah, right before COVID, you know, they were playing, they were selling out venues and playing uh, to rooms like a thousand cap and above. So I'm just, you know, I think about like, I'm glad I took a chance on a band like that. You know, like, I didn't know that that was going to be, that was going to happen so quickly for them. But um, yeah, so I just feel like believing in yourself and you should work with bands that you are like 200% about because it's a, this job is a lot of work. And like, Adam, you know, you know, this too, I'm sure like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going back. I'm not, it's, it's, I am washing my hands of artist representation moving forward. And I have a lot of wins and, and I, you know, but yeah, I, I, I hit a wall. Yeah. I hit a wall. And I well, was, it's, it's easy to do. Yeah. And it's a lot of work and it does not pay off until years later, unfortunately, hopefully this will change, but um, that's been the case for me. It's been a long time and it was hard financially in the beginning, but um, I just feel like working with artists you really believe in just trusting that like, you know, uh, things are going to come up for them is really important. Um, And those bands will always be grateful for, um, you know, for you believing in them. Uh, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about that, especially, you know, for our viewers who may not know, I, I feel like your roster is very similar to what my roster was in the sense of, uh, uh, like I said in email, challenging music Mm -hmm. to to the normal person, uh, not something that's easily digestible. I'm not saying that Boy, Harsher is probably, or something like Drive Majesty is probably a little bit easier to get into than, say, Hyde or Adult. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, one example maybe we could use to kind of walk through is I've known Andrew, who's Drive Majesty, for a while. Um, I worked for Sergeant House, so I've known him since he was in marriages. Um, and I remember going to see him in, like, a pub in Los Feliz with like 15 people and just being like, wow, this could be like, this is good. This is good here. And then to see him and, and your success with him selling out the Fonda, you know, mm-hmm. and putting out the records and getting that notoriety. Could you kind of walk us through that sort of developmental stage and maybe the key points that when you, do have sort of the wall against you of like maybe not being the easiest thing. We can't all be driver's license on the radio, you know, worldwide. Um, what are the steps that you take to kind of one at a time to get to that point, that long road that a lot of people sometimes die on, you know, mm-hmm. at the same time? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a great thing to think about because it's different for every band. Um, and these days, you know, it's crazy like TikTok a band can go viral on TikTok and then like, who knows their next tour is going to be like huge venues. And they just skip that whole part of like, right, yeah. starting from the bottom. It's just crazy. Totally. For the most part in the traditional sense, like bands work their way up, you know, they start by playing small clubs and then once they sell those out next time around, it's a bigger club. And, you know, you kind of gradually get bigger. And so many artists have been working on it for years. It, it takes a long time. Um, and yeah, Drive Majesty is incredible. They've always had a really loyal fan base that I think people overlooked um, because they weren't mainstream um, or they looked different. And I just, it's so, it's it's crazy because, oh, sorry. <laughs> they, 
yeah, like a lot of bands I work with are, you know, they're alternative or they're these like not mainstream genres and pitching bands like that is very hard. Um, especially when you don't already rep a big established band. So when you're emailing promoters or pitching for festivals, these promoters, it's hard to sell them on bands that they're not familiar with. Um, so it takes a lot of work. And I think the best way I've been able to prove this for these bands and help them go into bigger rooms has been, you know, just, just book the show. People are going to come and people will see for themselves. If they don't already believe in this band, just let the numbers speak for themselves. You know, this band is already doing, doing it, you know, uh, there's fans. Um, so once, once promoters take the risk and book the show and see that it sells well, then they're like, Oh, okay. Like I didn't even know about this band before, but now like clearly other people do. And I think that's an important lesson. Like promoters need to be open-minded just because they don't know what this band's about. You know, they can really give bands a chance. Um, because there's so much out there. Like you're not going to know about everything. Um, and one of my favorite parts about this job is like going to a show that, you know, that you don't really know what to expect. Maybe you've never even heard of the band, but you're going with a friend and then you see a room full of kids singing all the words. It's like, yeah. what? Like people know about this band. I've never even heard of them, but it's just so powerful to see that. And it's just eye opening, you know, cause we're all in our bubbles and yeah. it's very easy in, in any industry to be like, Oh, like I've never heard of that. Like that's not popular, but you know, that's not always the case. Yeah. Um, yeah. You like know to take that next step. You know, I think this is something I've had a discussion with other agents about where it's like, did you sell out the show day of, or did you sell out the show, you know, a month in advance? And then that's how many tickets I'm going to add to the next one. Like where, do you find that that's kind of like the hard line that you're sort of like tiptoeing on to get to that next level without overshooting the band at all at the same time? Yeah. I think people have different approaches. Like there are agents who aim really big and they have no problem selling 50% of a giant room nice. because on paper that band is playing that giant room, you know, like there are people have different approaches. Bands have different approaches too. Some bands don't want to play at half empty venue. A lot of bands I work with like the intimacy of small clubs. They would rather play multiple nights in a small club than a big theater. And that's something you have to consider. And every band is different. Some bands are the opposite. Um, but yeah, it's for me, you know, when a band sells out a show next time around, I, I always look at the finals. And I'm like, all right, how did this do last time? What were the ticket prices? What should we do this time? You know, is there a new record or are they just adding a show all the way to a festival? Like, what is the context? And yeah, I mean, the goal is always to go bigger. You know, you sell out one show, then go a little bit bigger, then a little bit bigger. I like to gradually increase it because I want every show to sell out and feel successful. I don't want them to think like, oh, we sold out our last show, but like this show only sold half of the room. And, you know, that's my approach. I like to do it gradually and um, it's a safer way. Um, I don't want to put a, a band on the spot and feel, you know, uh, unsuccessful for any reason um when it comes to building packages where how is your approach um it's different it's you know usually i it's the idea is coming from a manager um i think package tours are great especially this year for the fall so for anyone who's not familiar with packages it's just like you know pre-planning a lineup of bands you know sometimes it's a co-headline situation other times you're finding like 
strong support. Um, but you're going into this tour with these bands in mind. Um, and I think packaging is going to be really important for this year because if fall shows happen, it's going to be competitive. Every band is trying to play and people only have so much money and so much time to go to all these shows, you know? So I think the most effective thing for this year is going to be, you know, if you can get several bands to play together on one night, people will go to that show because it's easy. They're like, Oh, I like all these bands and they're all playing together. You know, they're not split between spending their money between three different shows that night. Um, so I think that's going to be really a really successful tactic um, for the, for this year. Do you think that that's going to run into an issue of essentially everyone getting paid, which I know that's like a big yeah. thing. So that is the, like thing. The, packaging, the money is split. Yeah, exactly. So that's something to consider. My perspective is that I think packaging is going to be the most effective solution for fall. Again, if fall happens, um, because otherwise a band, well, it depends on the band, you know, if it's a newer, younger band, they can headline and make more money potentially, but then their show might be half full because, right. you know, it's not. There's so much competition. Exactly. Yeah. And so if you do package, you can, it's more of a guarantee that that show is going to sell out and be packed and it's a better look. It'll be more fun, probably more satisfying for the bands playing because no one wants to play to an empty room. Um, so I just think it's a safer bet. Yeah. So that kind of like, that's feels like it's almost like that's kind of a challenge for you as an agent and anyone working on the artist side going into the, whether it's fall or winter, whenever we can get people back out there. What would you say before the pandemic were some of the challenges? Cause it's obviously like, it's completely changed your, the, the world for you. Um, what were your biggest like challenges and hurdles in like the day-to-day of being an agent before all of this? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of challenges, especially like sexism is still very real. I will say. <laughs> oh, please. I know. I was like, <laughs> out of all the different people we could talk to about something like that, it's like an agent would be great because that is the biggest boys club. I've ever oh, seen. yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um, you know, there, are, there have been a lot of challenges pre-COVID. One was, you know, being the genres that I work with, you know, I'm not working with people on the radio. I'm not working with bands that are on the mainstream. Um, so it's harder to pitch, but you know, I just, it just means I have to believe, you know, fully believe in the bands I work with. And Mm -hmm. if you are really passionate and really believe in who you're working with, that will show like promoters will be like, okay, like, sure. I don't know this band, but I'll give them a chance. Um, and that really shows like you can tell if someone's working with a band that they're just, you know, not really fully into it. It it does show in your work. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of challenges like music. It's always been a boys club. Unfortunately, I think it's getting better and there's still a lot more work to do to make it a more inclusive space. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, behind the scenes, especially, I think, I think people are, um, doing better jobs of lineups and curating festivals. And I'm seeing a lot more diverse um, events now, which is great as far as artists go, but then, you know, behind the scenes, we do, we do need to um, take a look at that. Yeah. It feels weird when like you see that lineup come out and it's Mm -hmm. definitely a great mix. It's diverse, but then behind the scenes, it's just the same four white guys that put it together. And it just sort of feels like, 
did you just pick them? Be- oh, you know, like you get that kind of weird taste about it. So I feel that. Yeah. One thing I always think about, cause I get, you know, I'm always pitching for festivals and big festivals and it can be very frustrating process because there's every band wants to play a big festival. Right. It's very competitive. Um, and ultimately the festival is going to book who they want to book. Um, and one thing I learned early on was like the concept of favors, you know, like if you ever look at a big, uh, festival lineup and you look at the bottom few rows of the small bands, um, and you research and you're like, like, who are these bands? And you look at like who their manager is or who their agent is, or most of the time there's some connection to the headliners. And a lot of, sometimes, you know, whoever's booking the headliner will be like, Hey, I have this new band. Can you throw them on and do me a favor? And that happens a lot. Um, you know, this industry is very political, unfortunately, and especially with festivals. Um, there are a lot of gatekeepers. It's very competitive. And the people booking the festivals, they care about the headliners. They don't necessarily care about which bands are playing at 1 p.m. You know, they're just trying to fill the bill and round it out. Yeah. Um, and it can be very disheartening because a band that has been working so hard for years might get passed up for a brand new band that has no history simply because of their connections. Yeah. I'm just going to roll my eyes at that one. Cause yeah, I, you know, but, but this is what I'll say. And, and I'll shout out the greatest festival of all time. In my opinion, it was fun, fun, fun fest. Oh it yeah. Was, because the way Graham booked it was in, in that entire team was you saw, and I mean, I have the first couple of years posters up in the house is like, the small bands that eventually got big or came back to the festival year, you know, like there was still substance in the bottom to the top. And I think riot fest still does a really great job of that. Yeah. Um, and I think there are still festivals, even, even something European like Roadburn does an incredible mm-hmm. job of that. I know that that's niche. Um, you know, I'm just going to say, I don't know if you can, cause you're still in the game, <laughs> but I feel like it is such a disadvantage because I do feel like now we're towing that line between the business and the art, or like you said, the numbers, the real numbers of like paying attention to what bands are doing. And I've seen a lot of bands just get passed up where I'm like, that band's selling out the Wiltern. Why are they not on this festival? You know, like that doesn't make any sense. Um, yet we're putting, you know, I won't name names, but we're putting like 2006, like indie bands that aren't worth anything at the Echoplex middle of the festival still because it's a favor, you Mm -hmm. know, and I feel like it's a, we sit here and we write these articles that are like, what are headliners going to look like in the future? And it's like, well, you can't build headliners if you're not giving them that opportunity from the get go. Um, So a lot of, again, shout out to these niche festivals, the Levitations of the World, Fun, 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 RIP, Riot Fest. Um, I just personally wish we would see more of that in the larger festival scope. I realize we're hitting a larger number of people, a bigger sort of sample, but, you know, I don't know. I, I Something about this TikTok thing doesn't feel like it's going to prove artists to last for 10 years just my opinion when we're sitting around going who's the next Radiohead? i don't know you haven't cultivated one so you can't (laughs) complain about a problem that you're creating (laughs) fun 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 was an amazing festival like i feel like austin's always had really special ones where they do pay attention to the newer bands and they they want to give those bands an opportunity riot fest too yeah there are a lot of great festivals it's more of the mainstream ones that i've really uh struggled with but but who knows maybe it'll be different moving forward i would hope so 
Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like the pandemic definitely forced them all to like, you know, I feel like it became before the pandemic, it was like booking festivals was this like whole thing. And then all of a sudden they all got flipped on their asses and now they got to book like one, two, three years, make sure that they got all the hot shit <laughs> has yet to come out. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, we'll start yes. thinking now. but it seems crazy. Yeah. But the other thing that I find interesting, and I wonder if you agree with it, Natasha, is like Adam and I have talked about this before, but like some like bands, especially developing bands, they always see these like certain things that these accolades as like they have. I really want to play these festivals. Like Mm -hmm. if I don't, it's not like something's not working. And like, I guess they're just like any thoughts on just like for a band that's just starting out, like how do they like if they can't get to those levels, like how do they measure their own success? I guess, like, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling now, but like, I have a thought. And it's just like the thought of like, yeah, like those smaller bands, they see it as like, Oh man, like I have to play this thing. And it's like, it's not going to like actually do what you think mm-hmm. it is, you know? And like that's sort of a thought I want to riff on for a sec. And just, just as a main example of that, I can't tell you how many emails I would get from bands, you know, solicitation being like, Hey, can you get us on festivals or tours? And I would look into the band and be like, you haven't even played regionally. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? You know? Yeah. It's, uh, Ooh, where did I begin? <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it's the, I draw a parallel because I do mostly publicity. And for me, mm-hmm. it, it, I feel like it's probably the equivalent of my, um, can we get on pitchfork? Can you get my best new music? Where's my best yeah. new music? You know, like, it's, it's the same thing, right? <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing. Um, you know, it's usually if a band has a manager, the manager's coming and saying, okay, like, can we get on this festival? Can we get on this one? I'm like, I will pitch them. I will try, but like, I'll try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Keys, but, you know, I want nothing more for my bands than play, to play these festivals. I yeah. love going to these festivals and it would mean so much to finally have bands I work with on the lineup. Um, but yeah, it is, I hope bands do not judge their success on whether or not they make it onto these lineups. And I know so many do, whether they really want to admit that or not. Um, of course they do. Cause these festivals are mainstream or, yeah. you know, people know, people pay attention to these festivals, but it, it, I always think about this too. Like, Sure, you can get a, as a young band, you might get a Coachella offer to play 1 p.m. But like, really, is that going to be a good show? Like, in my mind, like the regional festivals who are really curating it, they, those are the festivals that are really going to highlight these bands. Um, you know, you could be like playing middle of the day or be the first band at Lollapalooza or Coachella to play to no one. Um, or you can on the more regional festivals, there's a higher chance for you to be a headliner or, mm-hmm. you know, have much better billing and get, get more support. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think that bands should, uh, base their success on these things, but it's a real thing. It comes from managers, comes from bands, everyone, there's like a checklist of everything they yeah. want to play. And I get that. It's a big deal. Like I finally, um, like I had a band who's, like I finally got my first band on Pitchfork Festival and that was a big deal to me. I was like, finally, like, cool, yeah. this means something. But, you know, it didn't have to happen for that band to... Right. The, I mean, I mean, that's the bigger question then is, do you find the bands that you work with that play chess 
more successful than the bands that you work with that play checkers? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Question. A, I love no, it. No, no, it's okay. All right. Maybe, all right. What I didn't say, I didn't say shoots and ladders versus sorry. I mean, I'm just saying, like the bands that have a strategy that sees yeah. the long-term goal. Hey, if we do this in the first five mm-hmm. years, we can land that in 10 years versus I, I think I, I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, Bullshit Billions, so the owner of Billions, came oh, out yeah. in a Polestar article and was talking about how like he'll sign these bands, and the first thing out of their mouths is like, "Can can you get us Coachella?" Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Okay, I could get you Coachella, but do you want to play Coachella before your record's yeah. out at one o'clock, or do you want to wait two years to when you're popping and you have a better time slot and you're playing to more of a fan base? Because like yeah. even with the Coachella example." I've seen bands that have done business at the Fonda um, who are very well known and they're playing to 1600 people in an 8,000 person tent at two o'clock. And to me, that's the equivalent of playing the will turn to 300 people. Mm -hmm. You know, is that real success or does that expose the smoke and mirrors of where you actually exist in the grander scheme of things? Yeah. I think that's a great point. It's like, the timing. Like I love to think long-term because I'm here to help these artists make this a career. And that's part of my goal. I want to help them make this a sustainable career. You know, I'm not here just to book this one tour on this record. I want to help them grow and make this, if they want to do this full time, I want to help them achieve that. Mm -hmm. And these are the things you have to think about. Um, And it's okay to say no to offers. And that is one thing it's, that's hard for young bands to realize because anything that comes their way, it's a big opportunity most of the time. But um, yeah, these are things to think about. It's like, well, do we want to take this mediocre offer for like not so great of a set time or do we want to play this smaller festival, but will be highlighted way better. Um, we'll, we'll look better because we'll be higher on the lineup, you know, like things like that. Or do we want to like aim for this festival next year on the next record? Uh, those are important things to consider. And I think people shouldn't be afraid to turn down offers or say no. Um, things will come back around. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice, honestly. Yeah. More people could stand to say no. Because yeah. I think for artists, they sort of, especially developing ones, they sort of see it like this opportunity is in front of me. And I don't know if another one will come. Like, you know what I mean? So and it is definitely scary. scary yeah. <laughs> but. And same goes for support. Like, I do believe, like, supporting um, a band, supporting a bigger band is a great, great way to be introduced to a wider audience, new fan base. It can be very beneficial depending on who the band is that you're supporting, if it makes sense, you know. Um, but I think I think that does pay off over time if it's done the right way. Um, you don't have to support anyone. It has to be, a, you know, a band that is big and will get you in front of a room full of new people who are going to be open to it and become uh, new fans potentially. So there is like value in doing some like the baby steps. Um, But I think it pays off in the long run. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Um, So here we are. America's (laughs) opening up. Nature is healing again. Um, it's been a long year, Natasha. I'm sure certainly for you and any of the other agents at Ground Control, let alone agents anywhere. Um, 
But you guys, I'd say ground control as a whole, and a lot of the boutiques seem to have weathered the storm even better than the majors with layoffs, furloughs, things mm-hmm. of that nature. Um, is there anything special you guys kind of worked on, just kind of like put your head down, knew that you were just going to kind of follow the timeline and are just kind of ready once things hit some sort of normalcy and we see that uh, that 20s era boom that all the economists are talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's been hard. It's been hard for everyone. I think everyone's been in the same boat, not knowing there's no answer. You know, we, we still don't know what day shows will happen. We're planning for all shows. I'm mostly trying to get people to focus on 2022 because I'm skeptical of this year and I think it'll be a mess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, we've just been doing what everyone else has been doing, which is like anticipating and rescheduling constantly. You know, <laughs> last year before anyone realized the severity of the, the pandemic, people were moving their spring tours to the summer. Then two weeks later, they were moving those tours to the fall. And then as we, you know, got a better understanding of COVID, we were like, okay, this is going to be a while. Like we need to like push to 2021. And it's just been like this like yeah. vicious cycle of rescheduling because we don't know, but we want to, you know, have yeah. shows because we, you know, with booking, you plan so far in advance. So we unfortunately have to be active right now. And speaking of advance, I mean, you know, this probably throughout the years, it felt like every year it was like, okay, we're, we're, we're three, we're four or five months out. Now we're six months out. Now I've got to plan eight months out. Um, you know, I think my question is, especially within the club sector that I especially worked in, you the same, now there's less clubs. Now with something like Texas, we lost margin Walker. And that's not to say that there aren't other independent bookers, but they were the the force like you went into texas it was known that you generally worked with them as a company to develop your acts because they were one of they were the best promoter in in that vicinity you know what is that challenge been like to say something like boston where both uh great scott is gone and um can't think of the other one that closed down but the other like 230 cap venue uh it was like two stories um not Middle East. Middle East. Um, oh, there's another the one with the, the marquee on the side. That's what no, you're talking about. No, not that. But anyway, you know, West <laughs> yeah. Clubs, that's already been in it. I, I mean, just already living in the fourth, fifth whole lands of uh, pre-pandemic. How much has that been a challenge now? And how much do you see that being a bigger challenge in the future? It's definitely challenging for, especially, you know, I work with a lot of new artists who are playing these clubs. These are the the rooms that they need to be playing. And these small clubs, it's just heartbreaking, you know, especially last year um, before we knew what the relief from the government was going to look like. Clubs were closing every week. You'd hear each week a new club was shutting down and you're like, oh my God, I had five shows booked at that club for the fall or next year, like, what am I going to do now? And it's especially hard in certain markets where there aren't other options. Like Asheville, uh, the moth light was like the one 200 ish cap venue there. Um, and now if I want to book something in Asheville, I think my other option is a 400 cap room, which is not, yeah, it's not what you're looking for. Yeah. It's not what I'm looking for. And promoters, um, they're not going to, a promoter booking a bigger room is not going to take the same kind of risk on a new band because mm-hmm. there's more expenses. 
yeah. more expensive. There's, uh, you know, a 400 cap room is more expensive to run. Uh-huh. And these small clubs are just so important and vital. Um, it's like the ecosystem, you know, of live music. This is where every band starts and eventually gradually moves into bigger rooms. Um, so I'm pretty worried, honestly, but hopefully this there will be opportunities for people to open new clubs where needed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, for some tours, I just have to skip markets if there's nothing that makes sense. Instead of putting a band in too big of a room, I don't want to put them in that situation and have it, you know, not go great. Yeah. Um, do we move back to, excuse me, I'm choking on my own spit. Um, wow. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> do we go, look, technical errors, this happens. Um, mm-hmm. Do we go back to the DIY spaces, the like, interesting art spaces do we need to have more i think one thing that kind of got away a lot is that sort of regional booking where it's like oh i know a guy in the region mm-hmm. you know i uh been working with cult leaders the long span i worked with you know i i uh merrick at ground control worked with gaza who was the band prior and i remember uh casey their drummer telling me like no offense against you and merrick you guys have done wonders for our bands but the easiest tour I used to book was getting on MySpace and just finding a person within a certain vicinity. And even he said, he's like, that's become harder and harder because there aren't these sort of regional things anymore in the smaller markets, obviously Chicago, LA, New York, you know, major markets you can find. But like when you're trying to get to those major markets, these sort of like bubbles have all but disappeared to a degree Mm -hmm. think it's time for those to come back or this is the time for people in those areas to step up or are we too far gone past that point i mean that's a great point like these smaller markets are essential for tours because again like you need to it's a couple days to get from a to b you know you have to it's it makes sense to play smaller markets on the way and there's fans in these smaller markets you know uh just makes a lot of sense and they're vital um i think there are still people like that there's still a lot of diy people that i connect with sometimes like in pittsburgh there's someone that adult is friendly with who's really helped me out and has a good hold on um you know electronic and like dark wave fans um so anytime i have a, sh- like a show in that world i reach out to him because i know he'll do a great job promoting it and he's an independent person he doesn't own a venue um but he just is like the right person you know he comes from a very diy um background so I think, I mean, it's a great time for people like that to step up, especially if they're seeing their local venues close. Like we, we need to know who those people are because these bands still want to play these cities. Um, you know, I don't want to people there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to have to skip a city just because there's no other option. Um, so yeah, I hope we see more of that. Yeah. It's very to think about. <laughs> yeah, I know. We got to end this on a nicer note. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta have a happier ending. I mean, the so tour anyway, is- this dystopian wasteland. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hopeful for the future. Yeah, I mean, more skate park it- shows, 2022. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, uh, I I think the the big question, and Jamie maybe can't. I I'll say this in the touring sector, but I think this is a conversation Jamie and I have all the time based around the idea of success Mm. and post pandemic those markings that checklist is obviously going to get harder 
Um, so this is kind of twofold. One, do you find that people are starting to work together a little bit more pre, or has it just turned Lord of the Flies behind the curtain here? Um, and two, I think my biggest problem with being an artist representative is reason. It feels like has been thrown out the door more so than not, um, especially for certain acts that haven't proven themselves to a point. Um, how are we going to measure success in the live touring sector post pandemic? Are, are we going to be a little bit more reasonable as a business to say, Hey, listen, you're not hitting your marks yet. Let's have a real conversation about this before it's like, why aren't we playing Coachella at two o'clock on the side stage? Or, you know, why are we not getting this support tour yet? You've never played a show in your life or shown that you're worth being a band on a tour that's at minimum getting a hundred to $150 a night out of the headliners pocket of an all in deal or what we'll probably see um, being a lot of door deals, especially for clubs mm -hmm. in, in, in that sector. So yeah, twofold, you know, where, where do you see things in that? Um, I generally hope that we are going to be kinder to ourselves moving forward. I hope that bands can be kinder to themselves and not have this pressure of, Oh my God, I put out one or two records this past year you know, during the pandemic and like haven't toured on them or like, I feel like there's a lot of that anxiety with bands because some bands went forward with their 2020 releases, some bands postponed, but I feel like there's this anxiety of like, oh my God, like we haven't done anything, like what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. And I think we just need to, everyone's in the same boat. They're, this is going to be the norm for the next one or two years. Like everyone is in the same position and fighting the same battles. Um, and I think we just have to be kind to ourselves and accept it and not put so much pressure on ourselves, if that makes sense. And that goes for agents, too. Like, everyone was set to have a good year last year, and then everything fell apart. So we just have to understand it's not and it's nothing personal. It's just the state of the world. And when shows do come back, it's going to be I mean, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> it's going to be stronger than ever. I think I even think people are going to go to people are going to take more chances on new bands and just go to a show to go to a show mm -hmm. because they're deprived and they miss social interaction. And we're not going to take it for granted anymore. Before yeah. there were so many shows, it was oversaturated in LA shows every night, everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. You have to pick and choose, but now moving forward, I feel like we're going to really appreciate, um, you know, that experience. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I see. There it is. A happier place. Yeah, I'm end. very happier ending. <laughs> I love it. It's going to be loud, but we'll get there. Uh, yeah, it, it's going to be tough, but yeah, you are right. We will get there. And I'm in the same way. Like, I cannot wait to get back. And I know a lot of people mm -hmm. are right there with me. So thank you for sharing so much good advice and just so much positivity. I love it. Thank you for asking me to talk. Well, that was quite an interview. Um, it was. Lots of animals, lots of pet appearances. A lot of pet appearances. Cool, cool. And we hope no. we have more as the episodes roll on. It might be a show requirement, <laughs> actually. I'm thinking about that. But, uh, but yeah, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, issues being a booking agent pre-pandemic and how everyone's going to hopefully work together and not turn into Lord of the Flies moving forward. 
Um, but, you know, w one of the questions that, that I think we got something out of was, you know, the whole checkers or chess thing. You know, um, for me, personally, the bands that I worked with that had long-term goals, that knew how to take things step by step, those were the bands that, that built up um, well over time. They knew the opportunities to take, they saw the bigger pictures of, of things, and it really worked out for them. And, you know, just being an artist representative and having artists come to you being like, hey, can we get this tour? Can we get this festival? And you start to think, well, what have you done to deserve those things? Because it's my job out there to sell the Prius off the lot and you're gonna be a hard used car to get out there, unfortunately. Um, so, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of metaphors. A lot of metaphors on this one. We're, we're car salespeople. <laughs> we out here playing board games. Uh, but yeah, no, you know I follow. What I mean by listen, all this. listen. You know what I mean by all if this. I had a dollar for every time somebody came to me, an artist, a manager, a label, and all they wanted to know was, where's Pitchfork? Where's Stereo Gum? Where's Pitchfork? Where's Stereo Gum? Where's NPR? Where's Brooklyn Vegan? I would, I would be a millionaire. I wouldn't even work anymore. You could, you wouldn't even know me. Because that's how often I get asked that kind of question. And so it's all relatable. Uh, Natasha just has a, I'm just saying. <laughs> you told me you wanted to start a series to keep it real. You have unlocked it. And now I'm just going to keep it real. But right. Natasha was great. We had a great time. Shout out to all of her pets. Um, and yeah, yeah and thanks for tuning in. Hopefully in six months it won't be insanity out there. And maybe we will come together and, um, you know, all get through the hellscape year plus that we've been through in this business, especially on the touring side. So Or Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. Could Lord be either. Could, Could be either. either. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for joining us. Uh, we've got more episodes to come. So if you're tuning in, be sure to like, subscribe, all that YouTube stuff that That's you know true. makes us seem somewhat important. But the fact that you're tuning in, we appreciate it. We hope that you're getting something from all these episodes so far. And uh, we'll see you again real soon. Be nice in the comments.